This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will be a question session reviewing multiple choice questions related to rheumatoid arthritis, and the first question reads, In the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis, which medication is an antagonist of tumor necrosis factor alpha? And the choices are 1. Rituximab, 2. Etanercept, 3. Abatacept, 4. Methotrexate, and 5. Leflunamide. So etanercept is a biochemically designed tumor necrosis factor receptor immunoglobulin G fusion protein, which binds to TNF-alpha and is thus a TNF-alpha antagonist. So the correct answer to this question is 2, etanercept. TNF-alpha is considered to be one of the major cytokines involved in rheumatoid arthritis pathology. As a result, many biologic agents used to treat rheumatoid arthritis are manufactured to block TNF-alpha or its receptors. This has been shown to reduce inflammation and stop disease progression. In the United States, etanercept is approved to treat rheumatoid arthritis, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, and psoriatic arthritis, plaque psoriasis, and ankylosing spondylitis. The route of administration is subcutaneous. Bongarts et al. used a randomized controlled trial to assess the risk of infection and malignancy rates in rheumatoid arthritis treated with TNF-alpha antagonists. Overall, patients with rheumatoid arthritis appear to have an approximately two-fold increased risk of serious infection compared to the general population and non-rheumatoid arthritis controls, irrespective of TNF-alpha antagonist use. The pooled odds ratio for malignancy was 3.3, with a 95% confidence interval of between 1.2 to 9.1, and for serious infection was 2.0, with a 95% confidence interval between 1.3 and 3.1, with the use of TNF-alpha antagonist. How et al. reviewed the medical management of patients with rheumatoid arthritis who underwent orthopedic procedures. They state that while there is conflicting information regarding TNF-alpha antagonists, they recommend holding them prior to major orthopedic interventions. So to quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, rituximab, is incorrect because it is a monoclonal antibody to CD20 antigen, which inhibits B-cells. It is often used with good clinical outcomes as monotherapy in patients who are intolerant of methotrexate or have contraindications to methotrexate or other disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs. Answer 3, abatacept, is incorrect because it's a selective co-stimulation modulator that binds to CD80 and CD86, which inhibits T-cells. It is often prescribed for treatment of moderate to severe rheumatoid arthritis or after failure of a disease-modifying anti-rheumatic agent like methotrexate, but it can be used as first-line therapy. Answer 4, methotrexate, is incorrect because it's a folic acid analog which binds dihydrofolate reductase and prevents synthesis of tetrahydrofolate. It is usually a first-line treatment for moderate to severe rheumatoid arthritis. And answer 5, leflunamide, is incorrect because it's an inhibitor of pyrimidine synthesis and it's approved to treat adult moderate to severe rheumatoid arthritis, usually as a monotherapy or failure of other disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs. Moving on to the next question, a 45-year-old woman with rheumatoid arthritis is being scheduled for a total knee arthroplasty in two weeks. She's currently taking sulfasalazine, penicillamine, and etanercept, a tumor necrosis factor inhibitor. What changes should be made to her medication regimen prior to surgery? And the choices are 1. Discontinuation of all three medications one week prior to surgery. 2. 
discontinuation of sulfasalazine one week prior to surgery with continuation of etanercept and penicillamine, three, continuation of sulfasalazine, penicillamine, and etanercept, four, continuation of sulfasalazine and penicillamine with discontinuation of etanercept one week prior to surgery, and five, continuation of penicillamine, discontinuation of sulfasalazine, and etanercept one week prior to surgery. So anti-cytokine disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs have become increasingly popular in the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis. Immunosuppression and the risk of infection are potential complications for all anti-TNF-alpha medications. Current recommendations for cessation of immunosuppressive therapy are when the drug concentrations are at their lowest levels, which include the following. Three days after etanercept injection, two weeks prior to infliximab infusion, and 10 days after adalimumab injection. Medications such as sulfasalazine and penicillamine may be continued during the pre- and post-operative period. Recent evidence and guidelines such as those reviewed by Keith's paper suggest that anti-TNF-alpha medication should be stopped four weeks prior to surgery. Giles et al. report in their case control series an increased infection rate of rheumatoid arthritis patients undergoing an orthopedic procedure who are on TNF-alpha inhibitors as opposed to patients on more traditional treatment regimens like methotrexate and prednisone. So the correct answer to this question is four, continuation of sulfasalazine and penicillamine with the discontinuation of etanercept one week prior to surgery. Moving on to the next question, all of the following are characteristic of synovium affected by rheumatoid arthritis except, and the choices are one, prominent intimal hyperplasia, two, decreased apoptosis, three, increased angiogenesis, four, disruption of the basement membrane, and five, abundant lymphocytes. So the basement membrane is not disrupted in rheumatoid arthritis-affected synovial tissue, as synovium lacks a true basement membrane. So the correct answer to this question is four, disruption of the basement membrane is not characteristic of synovium affected by rheumatoid arthritis. So normal synovium consists of two layers, the intimal and the sublining, and two types of cells, type A and type B. In rheumatoid arthritis, the following changes to the synovium are seen. One, hyperplasia with the intimal lining increasing from two cell layers to 10 to 20 layers. Two, decreased apoptosis of the lining. Three, increased angiogenesis. And four, abundant lymphocytes around vessels forming lymphoid follicles. The synovial panis is invasive granulation tissue that contains fibroblast-like synoviocytes, but few inflammatory cells. The synovial cells in the panis have anchorage-independent growth and invasive capabilities, allowing them to directly attack and destroy articular cartilage. Koch et al. note that the possible contributions of angiogenesis to the proliferation of the inflammatory synovial panis and the ingress of inflammatory leukocytes into the synovial tissue in rheumatoid arthritis have been extensively studied. Relevant angiogenesis inducers seen in rheumatoid arthritis include FGF2, VEGF, TGF-beta, TNF-alpha, IL-1, IL-8, VCAM1, among others. Modulation of angiogenesis may be a viable therapeutic option for rheumatoid arthritis in the future. Moving on to the next question, which of the following is more likely to occur following a total knee arthroplasty without patellar resurfacing versus a total knee arthroplasty with patellar resurfacing in patients with rheumatoid arthritis? And the choices are 1. Patellar dislocation, 
2. Anterior knee pain, 3. Extensor tendon rupture, 4. Decreased quadriceps strength, and 5. Patellar clunk syndrome. So patients with rheumatoid arthritis who undergo a total knee arthroplasty without patellar resurfacing are more likely to have anterior knee pain when compared to the same patient population with resurfaced patellas. So the correct answer to this question is 2. Anterior knee pain. Resurfacing the patella during total knee arthroplasty is a topic of controversy. Those against resurfacing note minimal issues with patellar tilt and overstuffing the patellofemoral joint. Supporters of resurfacing state that the patellofemoral joint will eventually become arthritic if not resurfaced and that the rate of anterior knee pain is much higher. Multiple studies, however, have shown superior results in patients with rheumatoid arthritis that have had their patella resurfaced. Burnett et al. reviewed the indications for patellar resurfacing during total knee arthroplasty. They consider not resurfacing the patella in patients less than 60 with non-inflammatory arthritis and a maintained patellofemoral joint space. Holt et al. also reviewed the role of patellar resurfacing. They mentioned that patellar resurfacing should be routinely done in patients with rheumatoid arthritis, preoperative patellofemoral pain, height greater than 160 centimeters, weight greater than 60 kilograms, or advanced patellar changes either pre- or intraoperatively. Moving on to the next question, what percent of adult patients with rheumatoid arthritis test positive for rheumatoid factor? And the choices are 1, less than 20%, 2, 20 to 40%, 3, 50%, 4, 80 to 90%, and 5, more than 95%. So rheumatoid factor is present in 80 to 90% of adult patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Although rheumatoid factor is very sensitive, it is not very specific. Anti-nuclear antibodies, or ANA, can be detected in 30 to 40% of patients with rheumatoid arthritis. But the correct answer to this question is 4. 80 to 90% of adult patients with rheumatoid arthritis test positive for rheumatoid factor. Moving on to the next question. A 49-year-old woman with serologically proven rheumatoid arthritis has Larsen grade 2 radiographic changes in the elbow. Examination reveals a preoperative arc of flexion of less than 90 degrees, and there is no instability. Non-surgical management has failed to provide relief. What is the best treatment option? And the choices are 1. Semi-constrained total elbow arthroplasty, 2. Unlinked total elbow arthroplasty, 3. Fascial arthroplasty, 4. Open synovectomy, and 5. Arthroscopic synovectomy. So Larsen grade 1 and 2 rheumatoid arthritis is best treated with synovectomy with arthroplasty reserved for later stages, especially in younger patients. Open synovectomy with or without a radial head excision has yielded good results for pain and function, with arthroscopic synovectomies yielding similar results. Arthroscopic synovectomy has been shown to be more effective in restoring function in patients with a flexion arc of less than 90 degrees, as is the case in this patient. So the correct answer to this question is 5. Arthroscopic synovectomy is the best treatment option for this patient. Moving on to the next question. Regarding bone erosion in rheumatoid arthritis, which of the following statements is true? And the choices are 1. Interference with Wnt signaling may reduce bone erosion. 2. TNF and IL-6 blockade leads to slowing of bone erosion. 3. The extent of bone erosion is independent of the extent of synovitis. 4. MCSF and rank L stimulate bone resorption by synovial fibroblasts. And 5. 
the presence of serum anti-citrullinated protein antibodies is predictive of the extent of synovitis but not bone erosion. So TNF, IL-1, and IL-6 receptor blockade helps to slow slash arrest bone erosion in rheumatoid arthritis and is also effective in reducing synovitis. So the correct answer to this question is two, TNF and IL-6 blockade leads to slowing of bone erosion. Cytokines TNF, IL-1, and IL-6 are key players in rheumatoid arthritis. TNF stimulates migration of osteoclast precursors from the bone marrow into the periphery and stimulates expression of surface receptors to facilitate differentiation. In the joint, MCSF and rank L stimulate differentiation toward osteoclasts. Final differentiation into bone-resorbing osteoclasts is achieved following contact with the bone surface. Shett et al. reviewed bone erosions in rheumatoid arthritis. They state that the main triggers of bone erosion are synovitis, rank L, and anti-citrullinated protein antibodies. In rheumatoid arthritis, there is an abundance of osteoclasts in bone erosions, but a paucity of mature osteoblasts, suggesting the presence of molecules that block osteoblast differentiation. Itaguchi et al. investigated whether repair of erosions occurs in patients with rheumatoid arthritis treated with conventional disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs. They detected repair of erosions in 10.7% of rheumatoid arthritis patients treated with disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs. They recommended the use of these DMARDs to reduce disease activity and thus reduce erosions. Moving on to the next question. Which of the following biologic agents commonly used to treat rheumatoid arthritis does not target tumor necrosis factor alpha? And the choices are 1. Infliximab, 2. Rituximab, 3. Etanercept, 4. Golimumab, and 5. Adalimumab. So rituximab is a chimeric monoclonal antibody against the protein CD20, which is primarily found on the surface of immature system B cells. Rituximab is used in combination with methotrexate to treat rheumatoid arthritis that has not responded to one or more types of treatment, including anti-tumor necrosis factor blockers. So the correct answer to this question is 2. Rituximab does not target tumor necrosis factor alpha. In rheumatoid arthritis and other chronic inflammatory conditions, cytokines produced by activated T-cells slash macrophages contribute to the pro-inflammatory state. TNF-alpha is thought to be one of the major cytokines involved in rheumatoid arthritis pathology. As a result, many biologic agents used to treat rheumatoid arthritis are directed towards blocking TNF-alpha or its receptors. These drugs are able to reduce inflammation and stop disease progression. Elliott et al. evaluated the safety and efficacy of infliximab in 20 patients with active rheumatoid arthritis in an open phase 1-2 trial lasting eight weeks. They found that treatment with anti-TNF-alpha was safe, well-tolerated, and resulted in significant clinical and laboratory improvements. Moving on to the next question, which immunoglobulin subtype does the rheumatoid factor target? And the choices are 1, IgA, 2, IgE, 3, IgM, 4, IgG, and 5, rheumatoid factor does not target an immunoglobulin. So rheumatoid factor is an autoantibody most commonly seen with rheumatoid arthritis. The presence of rheumatoid factor can also indicate generalized autoimmune activity unrelated to rheumatoid arthritis, for example, tissue or organ rejection. 
rheumatoid factor is itself an IgM antibody that is directed against the FC portion of an IgG antibody. Rheumatoid factor, which is again an IgM antibody, attaches to the IgG to form immune complexes which are deposited in tissues like the kidney and contribute to the overall disease process in rheumatoid arthritis. So the correct answer to this question is 4. IgG is the immunoglobulin subtype that rheumatoid factor targets. Moving on to the next question, which of the following medications when combined with methotrexate has been shown to be more effective than methotrexate alone in the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis? And the choices are 1. Nitrofurantoin, 2. Rifampin, 3. Azithromycin, 4. Erythromycin, and 5. Doxycycline. So tetracycline was initially used in the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis because mycoplasma was thought to be the causative agent. It was later found that tetracyclines have biologic effects on the inflammatory and immunologic cascade by inhibiting collagenase activity. Collagenase is an enzyme involved in breaking down macromolecules in the connective tissue, contributing to the pathologic changes of rheumatoid arthritis. In a prospective study, Odell et al., found that initial therapy with methotrexate plus doxycycline was superior to treatment with methotrexate alone. Furthermore, similar results for low-dose and high-dose doxycycline suggested that anti-metalloproteinase effects were more important than the antibacterial effects. So the correct answer to this question is 5, doxycycline. Moving on to the next question. Which of the following drugs is an IL-1 antagonist typically used as a second-line agent in the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis? And the choices are 1, anakinra, 2, methotrexate, 3, leflunamide, 4, adalimumab, and 5, etanercept. So IL-1 receptor antagonists are a naturally occurring molecule that blocks the biologic effects of the pro-inflammatory cytokine IL-1. A recombinant form of human IL-1 receptor antagonist, or anakinra, is used to manage rheumatoid arthritis patients who are refractory to more conventional forms of treatment. So the correct answer to this question is 1, anakinra. Methotrexate and leflunamide are DMARDs and are typically prescribed if low-dose corticosteroids are ineffective. Adalimumab and etanercept are both TNF-alpha blockers, as we discussed. Kaliolias et al. summarized clinical trials and meeting abstracts regarding the experience with anakinra in the treatment of patients with rheumatic diseases. They conclude that anakinra is less effective than TNF blockers in the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis and can be successful in treating adult-onset Stills disease and systemic-onset juvenile idiopathic arthritis, previously known as juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Moving on to the next question. Perioperative use of which medication has been shown to increase the risk of postoperative infection following orthopedic procedures in patients with rheumatoid arthritis? And the choices are 1. Naproxen, 2. Leflunamide, 3. Sulfasalazine, 4. Etanercept, and 5. Aspirin. So of the medications that we just listed, only etanercept has been shown to increase the risk of postoperative infection following orthopedic procedures in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. So to quickly review again, etanercept is a TNF-alpha antagonist with a short half-life that is administered once or twice weekly in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Since TNF-alpha plays a central role in the pathogenesis of rheumatoid arthritis and is instrumental in causing joint destruction, the inhibition of this molecule has shown excellent results in controlling disease. 
the most powered study on TNF-alpha inhibitor use in the perioperative period following orthopedic procedures demonstrated a significant increase in postoperative infection. How et al. reviewed the medical management of patients with rheumatoid arthritis who underwent orthopedic procedures. They state that while there is conflicting information regarding TNF-alpha antagonists, they recommend holding them prior to major orthopedic interventions. Giles et al. reviewed 91 patients with rheumatoid arthritis who underwent an orthopedic procedure. They found TNF-alpha inhibitor therapy to be significantly associated with the development of a serious postoperative infection with a p-value of 0.041. Perhala et al. reviewed 61 patients with rheumatoid arthritis who were treated with methotrexate during the perioperative period surrounding a total joint arthroplasty. They failed to find a significant increase in complications in this patient group, stating the perioperative use of methotrexate does not affect wound healing or increase the likelihood of periprosthetic infection. So to quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, naproxen should be discontinued three days prior to surgery because of its ability to increase bleeding time and the subsequent potential for increased blood loss. Answer 2, leflunamide is an inhibitor of pyrimidine synthesis. It has not been shown to increase the risk of postoperative infection. Answer 3, sulfasalazine's mechanism of action is largely unknown, but it has not been shown to increase the risk of post-op infection. And 5, aspirin has not been shown to increase the risk of infection if continued in the perioperative period. And moving on to the final question for this topic, immunological testing of anti-cyclic citrullinated peptide antibodies, or anti-CCP, is most commonly used for the diagnosis and prognosis of which immunological condition? And the choices are 1, ankylosing spondylitis, 2, rheumatoid arthritis, 3, psoriatic arthritis, 4, systemic lupus erythematous, and 5, Rider syndrome. So this should be pretty easy because we are reviewing questions related to rheumatoid arthritis, but anti-cyclic citrullinated peptide antibodies, or anti-CCP, are commonly used as a marker for the diagnosis and prognosis of rheumatoid arthritis. Immunological studies are commonly performed to investigate cases of suspected rheumatoid arthritis. Rheumatoid factor has historically been used as a primary marker for RA. However, in more recent years, the use of anti-CCP antibodies has been shown to be as sensitive as and more specific than rheumatoid factor in early and fully established disease. In general, anti-CCP assays equate to a sensitivity of 50 to 75 percent and a specificity of 90 to 95 percent. High levels of anti-CCP have been shown to be indicative of a more erosive disease process and may be detected before the onset of arthritis. Gardner and Cadell reviewed the laboratory studies most commonly used in rheumatologic diseases. Standard ordering for clinically suspected RA include rheumatoid factor, anti-CCP, ESRCRP, as well as other markers of autoimmune disease such as anti-nuclear antibodies, anti-cardiolipin antibodies, lupus anticoagulant, HLA-B27, and uric acid levels. So that's all for this question review session. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Remember, if you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.